Challenger, go with throttle up. Challenger, go with throttle up. Thank you for listening to the Cross Loganville podcast. We will continue our series resolve. All right, so that's very encouraging, right? 73 seconds into flight, Space Shuttle Challenger exploded. All seven members on board were annihilated. I remember watching that live. January 1986, some 36 years ago. And I remember watching that and my heart was sunk. Thinking about the crew, thinking about their family, thinking about what a devastating moment. NASA, these brilliant scientists, all this money, And the question everyone had was, what went wrong? What happened? How could such a sophisticated operation explode the way it did? The Rogers Commission was the group that investigated the explosion. And they had discovered that the O-ring and and the right rocket booster had failed. That's what they said. That was their report. The, the O-ring and the right rocket booster had fell. And I remember going, what is an O-ring? Anybody else ask that question? What is an O-ring? And it was a quarter-inch washer. Washer. That was 38 feet in circumference that went around the shuttle. It, it, it had malfunctioned. It was compromised. And it led to the explosion. You're looking at such a small thing, such a little thing, such a, what appeared almost to be an insignificant thing that led to the destruction. One report said NASA managers had known for nine years that the design of the rocket boosters contained a potentially catastrophic flaw in the O-rings. But they failed to address the problem because they had concluded that there was a 1 in 100,000 chance that anything potentially could go wrong. So something so small that was ignored led to devastation. I want you to hold that thought. Something so small that appeared to be almost insignificant had led to the devastation. So here's my question to you. What if the sins that you and I have labeled as the big sins, the bad sins, the catastrophic sins, the ones like murder, the ones like robbery and adultery. What if those are not the ones that are the greatest threat to us in our walk with God and our enjoyment of God? What about if the greatest threat are those sins that we've, Labeled and ranked as small. Those little sins. Even the ones that the church has almost excused over the years. Those acceptable sins. What, 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 what if those are the ones that become the faulty O-rings of our life and lead to catastrophic failure and devastation even in our walk with God? What about if the smaller sins that we've labeled, like lust and pride and envy and comparison and greed and hate, and what, what, what if 
the ones that even church people tolerate are the ones that have a chance of absolutely annihilating our lives. What if we live in a culture that does rank sin and categorize what we think are grave and acceptable? What, what if, if that has led to the ruins and devastation of the power of the church at large? What, what, what if? And trust me, when you take one step in the wrong direction, and I know this from personal experience, and so do you, it can lead to ungodly actions and possible destruction. But the enemy comes to steal, kill, and destroy your life, and he's sneaky, and he's crafty, and he will convince you that a little compromise will not hurt you. You can handle it. Just compromise in this area. Make arrangements for the flesh. But every time you cross that line and every time you compromise, it leads to death and it will lead to defeat and it will lead to devastation. Compromise is not usually some huge act of willful disobedience that we walk into. It usually starts with just a a little slip in our thoughts or in our behavior, but then it opens the door and ushers us to such a slippery slope. And once we get on the slippery slope, it's almost like there's no turning back, right? Compromise means that I'm drifting from truth. I'm drifting from truth, and there's been this slow erosion. And there's some of you sitting here today that you have opened the door of compromise, and you've drifted from truth. There's very little in your life that indicates that Jesus Christ resides inside of you. Some of you watching online right now, you know that you've opened the door of compromise. And the enemy has come to steal, kill, and destroy. He wants to rip you off and he wants to take you down. And I will tell you every step we take outside of the will of God makes it very difficult for us to repent. We compromise. But we've justified it by saying, It's just a small thing. And the O-rings in comparison to the challenger was just a small thing. Now, stay with me. And I want you to ask the Holy Spirit to turn on his searchlight in your life today. No matter where you're sitting, whether you're in your living room or you're here in this room or whether you're maybe driving down the road listening, I want you to ask the Holy Spirit right now to turn on his searchlight and examine your heart. And I pray that you will be open. Here are some of the areas that I believe we compromise. There's many that I could deal with. I'll throw six, close with just one thought on one. But these become for you and I our areas of faulty O-rings. The first one would be fear. Fear. People would say, hey, 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 that's not a big sin. Fear. Well, fear defined, I heard a brother years ago say, it's false evidence appearing real. Fear. And and Jesus repeatedly said, do not fear, do not be afraid. Over 365 times he speaks into that. Even in Matthew chapter 10, he said, do not fear. Do not fear those who kill the body, but are unable to kill the soul. But fear him, but fear him, have reverence and allegiance and surrender to him who is able to destroy both soul and body. You know as well as I do, 
that fear has been an ongoing narrative that you and I have listened to for years, but it even has been heightened over these last two years. Fear. Dennis Prager, one of the great minds of our day, a Jewish brother, and he does uh, Prager University, and some of the things that he's done is outstanding. I would encourage you to pay attention to Prager. But Prager makes this observation. He said, regarding fear, for an example, fear of COVID is rational. It's rational. What is it? We, when this thing first got introduced to us, it's like, what is it? We don't know. What does it do? What does it cause? But he goes on to say, the fear of it, okay, that's rational. But media and governments induced irrational fears. That's why millions of healthy people stayed indoors for a year or more. Why a vast number of people wore masks while walking or sitting along outdoors. It's why so many people and parents did not allow their young children to play with other children for a year or more. Even though the COVID-19 mortality rate among children was considerably less than the flu's mortality rate among children, all of this was caused by irrational fear. Prager speaking. Listen to what he goes on to say. It turns out that fear in most people is more powerful than reason. Tim, we know that fear in most people, it's more powerful than reason. Prager goes on to say, and when it is, it is far more destructive to the individual and to the society. Irrational fear. It trumps reason. People almost lose common sense and basic reasoning sense when fear is being pushed. But here has been the progression, and it's nothing new it's just been amped up. It's called problem, reaction, solution. Think about it. Engineer a problem. That's what we're dealing with. It is an engineered problem. It's not a natural cause. It was a man-made engineered problem. What is the problem? COVID. Manipulate the reaction you want. And so with governments and with media and with and with, what we've seen is we're going to manipulate the reaction and the reaction that we are trying to get is fear. Even though it's irrational fear. Even though we continue to have to change our narrative and lie, we're going to create fear. And then we're going to usher in the solution. What is the solution? We're going to introduce a phrase called social distancing. Where did that come from? Well, some high school kid years ago wrote a paper on this, and all of a sudden, it's become like a genius buzzword. We're going to create a solution. And then we go to vaccines, and we go to masks, and we go to, and we go to. And so what has been the gig to create fear? What did Jesus say? Do not be afraid. Do not fear. So what is the opposite of fear? And some of us would conclude that the opposite of fear is being brave, is being contagious. But I believe that the opposite of fear is love. And then I would say God is love. So the opposite of fear is God. Who am I listening to? Who am I trusting? Who am I leaning into? So fear 
The enemy will use fear to take you down and keep you down and tie you up and take you out of the game. And if you're a child of God, I can tell you this. Please listen to me. If you're a child of God, the sin of fear should not control you. It doesn't have to control you. You do not have to yield to it. But why are even some Christians some of the most fearful people on the planet? Why? Because even for some, as we grew up, Chad, even salvation was rooted in fear. We heard these messages, Spencer, of hellfire and damnation. And God is going to send you to hell if you reject Jesus Christ. And hell is a fiery place, etc., etc. And for so many people, even their salvation experiences was rooted in fear. They were scared. But as we read in Scripture, God so loved. And even 1 John chapter 4, we read, we have come to know and we have come to believe the love which God has for us. God is love, not fear, not guilt, not shame, love. And the one who abides in love abides in God, and God abides in him. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. Perfect love Shoves fear out of the way. Because fear involves punishment. And the one who fears is not perfected in love. A faulty O-ring for many people has been, they live in fear. I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm afraid. And I can tell you, if the catalyst for your obedience is fear, you're living locked up and in chains today. The catalyst for our obedience and pursuit of the Lord cannot be fear. It must be love. For the love of Christ compels me and constrains me. Come on, somebody. But we live in a culture today, even amongst church folk and evangelicals, that a faulty O-ring has been fear. Here's another one I want you to consider. And this exists big time. Apathy. Apathy, see, apathy is a big-time sin. But for some people, they would say, well, it's not a big sin. It's not like killing somebody or committing adultery, right? But we read last week, Revelation 3, where John has given the word on the Isle of Patmos through the Lord right to the church over at Laodicea and tell them that I have this against them, that, whoo, I wish they were hotter, I wish they were cold, but because they're lukewarm, I'm going to spit them out of my mouth. You go, they're lukewarm. They're apathetic. They are going through the motions. They don't care. And apathy floods so many people within the church. And it shouldn't be that way. And anytime you meet a person who is apathetic, they usually are hanging out with their best friends, brother passive and sister mediocre. Somehow that trinity just somehow travels together. Oh, there you go. You're apathetic, and that person's passive, and that person is okay with being mediocre. But there's nothing passive about our God. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, and the earth was void and without form, and God said, let there be. And God is a proactive, God is a, 
a God that initiates. And so when we start to study our God, even when we were lost and reckless and rebelling in our sin, God in his relentless tenderness continued to pursue us because he's not a passive God. He's not an apathetic God. The God that I met some 36 plus years ago, 37 years ago, he's not passive. That, that God is loving and caring, and that God desires a relationship with you. I started writing this down the other day, that that God that I met, his power is beyond comprehension. His beauty is beyond description. His love cannot be measured. The same God who created the universe and formed the stars desires a relationship with me. That God's not passive. And, 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 and I believe, just hear me on this, I believe that an apathetic approach to knowing God explains why more lost people are not lining up to know this God. How many people have you met over the years that you go, wow, I want what they got? How many have you met? I went, I went to church occasionally, Kathy, growing up in Noonan with people. And I'm like, well, they, they go to church, but their lifestyle is no different than mine, and their language is no different than mine, and their lust issues are no different than mine. And all of a sudden, I met a couple of people, and I'm like, no, they got something I ain't got. When you study the Bible and the pages of Scripture, you study when men and women encountered God, their life was radically changed. We don't study lives in Scripture of people that stayed passive and apathetic and lukewarm after they've encountered the Lord. Even the woman at the well who'd been shacked up with a dude and married five previous times meets Jesus and runs back to the city going, you've got to come see this man. What happened to you? I, I encountered the Lord. And if you encounter the Lord, you want to share it with other people. Here's another one that I think is a faulty O-ring. And it's, and it's more than just what it sounds like on the, 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 the front here. It's gluttony. Come on, brother. Don't be, don't, come on. Easy, easy, dog. Come on. But you know how it is in the South and for so many people? Just, just hear me on this. Right? We usually attack and address the sins that we feel that we're less likely to do. So we'll talk about drunkenness until the cows come home. Right? Yep. We'll talk about people getting toe up from the flow up, smoking weed and all this till the cows come home. Good old church folk will. But they will avoid talking about gluttony like it's a plague. Come on. Because, brother, we're about to bust up, man, this Ryan Steakhouse back in the day. They ain't profiting on me. Growing up on the south side, man, we're about to kill this all-you-can-eat catfish joint. Malir's barbecue on the south side, man. We're about to go in there and crush some swine. Proverbs 23, 20 says, Do not be with heavy drinkers of wine or with gluttonous eaters. 
for the heavy drinker, and the glutton will come to ruin. Gluttony is a heart issue, and it is a craving for excess. I got to have more. I got to have more. Gluttony says, those voids in my life, did you hear me? Those voids I have in my life, God cannot truly fill them. I need something else. So it's saying, I, I trust this Jesus who can offer me eternal life and keep me out of hell, but I need these other things. I need this excess. I lived a life of gluttony for many years. I mean, I was trying to fill the hole in my soul. And so when it came to going into these pizza buffets, the people at CC's did not want to see me coming. But when it came to drinking, I had no breaks. I drank like a guppy. When it came to my pursuit of lustful activities, I was never satisfied. And so gluttony is this uh, desire to have excess for more. It's saying I'm never satisfied. I've got to have more. I was always craving for more. And gluttony and greed are first cousins because it says I've got to have more and I will get more. But gluttony really happens when you lose your focus of God. When Jesus is not enough for you and he's not sufficient for you, you will start looking for other things to medicate and sedate and validate who you are. And you will go out and do these things. And we'll end up filling our stomach and our minds with all this stuff and all this activity. And all we're saying is I'm very discontent. You want to know the remedy? If you battle gluttony today, not just with food, but just this excess for more, We've got to fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and finisher and perfecter of our faith. He says, I will keep you in perfect peace if you keep your mind fixed on me. And so I believe God is wooing some of us in here today back home. Hey, 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 look at you. You battle apathy. You battle gluttony. You battle fear. You, you've got to come back to me. Here's another one, worry. And this is like one of the, the ones that people have talked to me. I, I, I know worry's a sin, but it's just something I struggle with. I mean, worry gives you something to do, but gets you nowhere. Charles Spurgeon said, worry is interest paid on trouble before it's due. I'm worrying. And, and worry really is a deeper issue because it says, I don't trust God and I'm going to stay in control. 40% of the things that we worry about never happen. Some people would say, I'm doing a good job, see? 30% are about things of the past and you can't change it. I'm not going to empower you being stuck in your past. If you choose to stay there, there's your dilemma, not mine. 12% is criticism from other people, and most of that is untrue. We're already at 82% of it don't even make sense. 10% is about health, which gets worse with stress. So even we know people, man, battling all these ulcers and all kinds of health issues, and they're all like just locked up and tied up. Well, what's wrong with you? I'm, I'm just worried. I'm just flooded with anxiety. I mean, you start living with fear and worry, that is a lethal combination right there. 8% is about real problems. You got to face them anyway. So I start to look at this and I'm like, all right, regarding worry, did Master Jesus say anything about this? Oh, yeah. So Jesus, what did you say about worry? 
Uh, I, I said, don't worry about anything. No, no, no. What do you mean by anything? I mean, so what do we do? Oh, you pray about everything. So don't worry about anything, but come on, T, you got to pray about everything. So do not be anxious or worry about, but pray. Matthew 6, Jesus said, I say to you, do not be worried about your life as to what you will eat or what you will drink, nor for your body as to what you will put on it. Is life, is it not more than just food and the body? Is it not more than just clothing? And so many people get occupied, even believers. Oh, man, let me tell you where we're going to go, and let me tell you what threads I'm wearing. I mean, most of my stuff is free, 99. People give me stuff. I'm like, sweet. I don't have to spend any money. God said if he's going to, am I telling the truth, Rachel? You go into my closet, pretty much everything I got, somebody gave to me. And then I get rid of what somebody else gave me because somebody else gave me something else. And I'm like, sweet. You worrying about it? No. Do you think I'm worried about anybody ever coming up to me and saying, hey, bro, you know you don't match today. <laughs> Do you think that's a concern that I've ever had? Huh? You, you think if somebody came up and go, your hair is really messed up on camera today. And I shave it when we get home, baby. Get rid of it. But for so many of us, we get occupied with all this stuff and we lose our joy of the Lord. Worry is a weight that God never intended for you to carry. And, and we load ourselves down, right? And, and, and we go, wow, it's a symptomatic problem that screams again, like fear or whatever. You don't trust God. You're not depending on God. And as followers of Jesus, he's called us to reflect his goodness to others. And how do you do that? I confront worry and go, hey, my God is going to, he's going to unpackage this. My, my God is not going to be caught, off surpri uh, caught by surprise on this thing here. I was talking to a, a friend yesterday, and it was like, well, this and this and this. And I said, it ain't happened yet. It hadn't happened, it hadn't happened yet. But it's almost like we give God a time frame that God's got to work within. And when God does not come through within my time frame, I go, well, I got I to pick this back up and take care of it. Well, go ahead. See how that works for you. Go ahead and get back on that treadmill of exhaustion. But worry, if you're watching online, you're right. It's not as bad as murder. Oh, really? R really? So, so Jesus died only for the big boys, but these other ones will be... No, it's as bad for you as anything because it's sin. Quit ranking sin. Quit putting your sins in categories. It's jacked up. Here's another one that we accept in the South. Flattery. Be careful. Working definition of gossip would be saying something behind someone's back that you would never say to their face where you're dogging them and shredding them. You go, that, that, that's gossip. Well, flattery is when you say something to somebody's face you would never say behind their back. It's when you're buttering them up. And flattery, when you start to look at it, is one of the most twisted forms of manipulation. 
Read 1 Thessalonians 2 sometimes where Paul says our coming to you is not a failure. And he lays in contrast there in 1 Thessalonians 2 what success and failure in ministry would have looked like. But he said we didn't come to you with flattery pretending to be your friends just so that you would give us money. He goes that would have been failure. And can I tell you if your identity is wrapped up and connected to man's praise you're going to live a life of discontent. If you are absolutely connected and attached to how other people see you, view you, I've used the phrase over the years, if you are motivated by praise, you will be deflated by criticism. And your identity has to be founded in who you are in Christ. I mean, we live in a fragile culture. Every person around us is fragile. I mean, they're here one day, gone one day. They're high-fiving you one day and dog-cussing you the next day. That's the world I live in. And when human prays, you got to have it. I got to have it. Just watch people on social media. Just watch them. It's just watch what they do. People, I follow about 10 people on Facebook because I found out, I got told that I could go up there and hit this little thing and say unfollow, which means I don't unfriend you, I just don't see what you're posting. If you send me a friend request, this is just me and you talking, and right out of the gate, you post four or five things, and two of the things you post are selfies, I will unfollow you. Look at me. Look at how I look. You go ahead, filtered mama. That ain't even true. I'm not following that junk. If you want to post something of significance or substance, all right, I'll read it. You start posting all these dig me posters and pictures of check me out. Brother, I had a girl get mad at me. She goes, you unfollowed me on Instagram. I go, I didn't even know how to follow you in the first place on Instagram. (laughs) So if it got unfollowed, I don't pay attention to that thing. They tell me to look at it when they post pictures of my grandbabies, and so I'll look at it then. But you don't know how to use that? No. There were some girls over at our house last year, and they brought up Hannah TikTok. They're like, something about TikTok. I said, what time does that show come on? They started (laughs) laughing at me. They're like, you don't know what that is? No. And I ended up, I was right. It's a stinking show and tell and dig me and like me. It was a show. So, Hannah, even though my answer sounded crazy, it was prophetic. (laughs) But flattery is such a twisted form of manipulation. And I can tell you this, Jesus never needed the approval and praise of man. And I wrote this down the other day. I'm like, man, it is hard to point people to Jesus when you need their approval. Come on. It's hard to point another person to Jesus if you need their approval. You know one of the big ones in our culture as well? Flattery, stuff we do with our mouth and talk, right? Is lying. Lying is so huge. Lying is nothing more than a false statement made with the intent to deceive or mislead. 
And, and people do this in different ways where they withhold critical information or they only give you partial disclosure of something. I call it fragmenting disclosure. Can I tell you something? Lying is, and it, and it opens up all these other doors for you when you learn that lying, I'm, 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 I'm going to withhold, I'm going to fragment my disclosure. And I was like, why is lying so acceptable amongst believers? How, how have we been okay with this one? And Rena, when you call people out and hold them accountable, they might bolt on you. They might run from you. They might leave. When, when you hold them accountable, when they've lied about their why and you look at them and hold them accountable, they just may run. That's an option. Proverbs 12, lying lips are an abomination to the Lord. Proverbs 13, those who are godly hate lies. Let me, let me, let me just stroke this thought for a while. Well, that was just a white lie. Oh, now we're going to start to color them. Well, I hope your Crayola box don't have 64 colors because... We'll be here for a while as we categorize lies. You ever heard people say, uh, that's just a white lie, which means you were very tactful and polite, but you lied. Hey, uh, here, here's what I was going to ask you. Hey, Daniel, I took my boys to see Foxworthy and him last night at the uh, Fox Theater, him and his dude. But it, it would be like this, okay? Hey, Daniel. Hey, uh, I was going to see if you wanted to go with me and my boys down to the Fox to see Fox and this dude, Dusty Slave, man, do some, some comedy. It would be the polite uh, lie. Okay, follow this. It's tactful. Hey, uh, yeah, but let me check with the wife, man. I think she's already got something on the schedule. He don't even know where his wife is, much less what his, her schedule is. And so he can come across like he's being really cool and godly. Let me check with the wife. Like, we're yoked up in this thing. We're all along. He's like, I ain't going to do that. And do you know that when you get exposed after a few times of doing something like that, hey, we're having this party, would love for you to come. Oh, man, I think I got something else already going on. Or you say, yes, I'll be there, and then a better opportunity comes along, and you bang that one and, and, and say, I'm not going over there. I'm going to go over here. Can I tell you something? You destroy your credibility. But for some odd reason, it's almost like we accept that in church. Yeah, I'm going to serve. I'll be there Sunday. I can't wait to serve, whether it's greeting, whether it's kids, whether it's parking, whether it's in the nest. I'm going to be there, brother. Saturday night. Yo, dog, what's up? I got, a, I got two tickets to the Falcons game, man. They're playing the Packers. For real? Man, I'd love to see Aaron Rodgers sling it. Oh, man, let me, uh, let me text Rachel. Hey, Rachel. I know I said I was going to be there tomorrow, but I've had something come up. Mm -hmm. White lies. Y'all want me to stay on this for a little bit longer? How about broken promises? I've seen this with a lot of uh, kids that have come out of uh, divorce situations and stuff. 
It's where you refuse to keep a commitment. You make a promise with no intentions whatsoever of following through. Broken promises. And you want to talk about another way? You, dis- you just destroy your credibility. It's terrible. Uh, you said you were going to be there. You were going to come to my game. You were going to do this, and then you don't show up. Here, here's another one I've heard. Uh, right there is just a bold face lie. That's just when you're telling a lie. You know you're telling a lie. Everybody else knows you're telling a lie, and you just keep telling it. It's like, there you go, dog. You've lost all credibility. Nobody trusts you, believe you. But somehow, even amongst church people, it was like, ah, call them out. Stop the stupidity. How about a lie of fabrication? Mm-hmm. Telling others something you don't even know if it's true or not. Well, you know what I heard? Whatever you chose to listen to is what you heard. Measure it against truth. But I mean, the lies of fabricate. We fabricate information. And then I'm like, lies of exaggeration? That's where we we spice it up a little bit. We enhance it. So I'm, I'm, I'm talking to you about something here that's red, white, and blue. And I'm trying to explain this picture, but somehow yellow and green and purple showed up in it because I'm going to spice it up a little bit. You ever been with people that have to throw extra spices in it when they're telling something? I mean, whatever is not good enough, I'm going to spice it up. I'm about to tell a story, about to get it rolling. Exaggeration, then lies of deception. We create this impression that I'm going to mislead you. I'm, I'm just straight up. I'm, I'm going to deceive you. I played that game. I ain't going to lie to you. You're the prettiest little girl I've ever seen in my life. Come on, homie. You are lying out of the gate. And guys do that. Girls will lie. They'll use deception as a form of lying to manipulate to get something they want. Plagiarism. I'd never use this one in college. <laughs> Copying somebody else's work and calling it my own. I didn't plagiarize. I called it research. <laughs> Did you steal that from somebody else? No, ma'am, I was researching. I didn't steal it. I borrowed. And you see how we even minimize terminology to support our agenda. Compulsive lying. I mean, there's so many forms of this stuff. Don't excuse it. If that is a faulty area for you today, I'm telling you right now, you're slowly reaching a point where you're about to explode. If any of these that I've mentioned, you ask the Holy Spirit to deal with you thoroughly and you repent from those. The last one I would tell you is just being addicted to comfort and that is so huge in church today. Just comfortable. When the church becomes comfortable, Christianity starts to die. When the church becomes comfortable and you resist change and get mad, I can tell you, you are starting to die. There's a lot of people that stop living years before they ever take their last breath. Comfortable. Don't mess with me. I don't want to change. I'm going to stay where I'm at. 
I'm stuck. Here's my rap. One of my favorite Christian artists when I first got saved was a guy by the name of Keith Green. Keith Green was a prophetic voice amongst the Christian music industry of his day. Go back in the 70s and the 80s and listen to some of the Keith Green stuff. Keith Green was a voice crying in the wilderness. Keith Green was a voice crying out amongst the evangelical church people, telling them to raise their standard and get serious about following Jesus. One of my favorite songs by Keith Green was a song titled, Asleep in the Light. And he talks about how the church is asleep in the light, but it can't fight. Even though the world is asleep in the dark, the church is asleep. Here's part of the lyrics. He said, do you see? Do you see all the people sinking down? Don't you care? Don't you care? Are you going to let them drown? How can you be so numb and not care if they come? You close your eyes and pretend the job's done. Oh, bless me, Lord. Bless me, Lord. You know, that's all I ever hear. No one aches, no one hurts, no one even sheds one tear. But he cries and he weeps and he bleeds and he cares for your needs. And you just lay back and keep soaking it in. Oh, can't you see that is sin? He brings people to your door and you turn them away. As you smile and say, God bless you, be at peace. But all of heaven just weeps. Because Jesus came to your door and you left him out on the streets. So open up, open up and give yourself away. You see the need, you hear the cries, so how can you delay? God's calling and you're the one. But like Jonah, you run and he's told you to speak, but you keep holding it in. Oh, can't you see it's such sin? I think one of the things that is one of the hindrances, as I said before, when a lot of lost people look at so-called saved people, what do they really have? I prayed a prayer and I walked an aisle and I've been invited. I'm talking about, are you surrendered? Are you yielded? Are you abiding? The book that I read right after I got saved talked about money, sex, and power. Three of the big like issues that would take a man down, money, sex, and power. Money, greed. Sex, lust. Power, pride. Pride, lust, greed. And for some odd reason, if we excuse those things in our life, they will become a faulty O-ring. And maybe you've been allowing this for years. Even again, people came to NASA and for nine years they said, Here, here's an issue that you've got. Nine years. You need to get it fixed. Uh, there's a one in 100,000 chance. And I think a lot of us, Mashila, think, well, that, that would never happen to me. 
I'm going to keep cruising and going with the flow. I'm not going to up my game. I'm not going to repent. I'm not going to surrender. And some of us in this room today, you know as well as I do, you're allowing the enemy to pick you apart because you won't violently repent and deal with these areas. So he's come to your door today. Don't turn him away. And if you're walking with the Lord and he's asking you to go take his message to your friend, to your family, to your neighbor, don't you sit back and play it numb. Get up. It's time for the church to rise up and be the church. Thank you.